Of course, the illusion disappears when you pour sweat just pushing your bicycle into the lift. And given our tropical climate, by the time I get to church, I don't look anything like that. But there are other good reasons to cycle, uh, so I'm still riding. After a few trips, I was discussing with Jesus whether I should shower in church since we built in shower facilities on every floor. But the thought of carrying toiletries on top of everything else uh, puts me off the idea. You know, laptop very heavy. So the curious thing is, a friend from church gave me a bottle of shower gel for Christmas. Huge bottle, sitting on my desk right now. And so that's one less uh, obstacle to better personal hygiene. And then, of course, uh, somebody else gave me a bottle of talcum powder. So I texted my friends and say, is God trying to tell me to have better personal hygiene? <laughs> now, was it a coincidence that this friend, who didn't know that I'm cycling to work, gave me what I needed? Or has God been watching over me, listening to me talk, and arranged to provide through this friend? Does God actually care about such trivial things in our lives? May I testify to you that he does. God cares about the trivial things in our lives, things that have nothing to do with our salvation, as it were. And I'm going to show you today using the appointed gospel passage and through personal testimony. The message today is a simple encouragement. Believe that Jesus, the Son of God, cares about the trivial things in our lives. I'm going to break that up into two points. And somewhere in between, I will also try to explain a difficult verse in our passage. First of all, let us be reminded that Jesus is the Son of God. While the synoptic Gospels focus on the incarnation and humanity of Jesus in their opening chapters, John the Evangelist provides the balance by emphasizing the divinity of Jesus in the fourth Gospel. To this aim, John included this miracle in chapter 2, which the other Gospel writers left out. The miracle of turning water into wine doesn't just reveal that Jesus is divine as if he was a new God or one of many gods. The miracle reveals that Jesus is the same God as the God of Israel. Who is the God of Israel? The opening verse of the Hebrew scriptures tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Quite plainly, the God of Israel is the God of creation. For this reason, when Jesus created wine, when he displayed the power of creation, John recognized that this Jesus is of one being with God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, when John wrote this miracle, he made use of familiar words from the book of Genesis so that we may also recognize Jesus is the Lord. What words from Genesis are we talking about? Well, in verse 11, the Greek word for the first is the same word for the beginning. Sound familiar? We've already been reminded that these are the opening words of Genesis. If creation is the first known act of God the Father, then John wants us to know that the first known act of Jesus is also creation. For that matter, the first known act of the Holy Spirit is also creation, the creation of the church. Thus, we understand the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the one God of creation. Another word is said. In verses 7 and 8, we read that Jesus said this, and Jesus said that, which turned water into wine. 
Is this not the same way God the Father created the world? And God said this, and God said that, creation came into being. God the Father left no footprints when creating the earth. God the Son left no fingerprints when creating wine. The last example is in verse 10. The master of the feast remarked that the wine is good. Remember, God saw creation is good. Here, what Jesus created was equally good. Now, each of these words mean nothing much on their own. However, when taken together, they hint strongly at the parallel between the creation story and Jesus' miracle. Just as God spoke and created everything good when there was only primordial waters in the beginning, Jesus spoke and created good wine when there were only jars of water to begin with. This first sign which Jesus did signals to us that he is God himself. Jesus is the same God as the God of Israel. And we call him the Son only to differentiate him from the Father and the Holy Spirit. This title doesn't mean that he is a lesser God. The Son of God is the fullness of God in himself, of equal power, honor, and glory with the Father and the Spirit. Now that we're reminded of the identity of Jesus Christ, let us unpack some important background before we look at what God is doing in Canaan. Verses 1 to 2 set the scene for us. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, from this map, we can tell that uh, Cana was a village near Nazareth. And in those days, when a couple gets married, the whole village is invited. Sometimes people from neighboring villages are also invited. In this case, Jesus Nazarene and his mother. This says something about our Lord. He was a friendly neighbor, he made friends, he attended weddings, he had meaningful relationships with other people. It's a rare glimpse into the private life of Jesus Christ. The third day here refers to day three of Jesus' ministry on earth. If I read John chapter 1 correctly, John started counting from the day Jesus reappeared to John the Baptist at the Jordan after his temptation in the wilderness. So after 40 days, he fasted, tempted, okay, and he came back and said, hi, John. Yeah, day one. On day two, Jesus goes north from the Jordan to the Sea of Galilee, where he recruits Simon Peter and Andrew, as well as James and John. Day three, Jesus returns to Galilee and recruits Philip and Nathaniel. At this point, Jesus had at least six disciples following him. And this detail will be important later. So Jesus was just starting out on his earthly ministry. But on the third day, he took time off to attend his friend's wedding with his mother. This says something about Jesus too. He didn't neglect his friends and family because he was busy saving the world. Which means even if you and I are busy saving the world, we shouldn't neglect our friends and family. Now Jesus must be quite close to the bridegroom and bride. Either that or the Jews were very hospitable. Because when Jesus turned up with his disciples, and remember we're talking about six grown men here, they were all invited to eat and drink at the banquet. They were strangers living quite far off. Nevertheless, they were admitted on account of Jesus. Perhaps 
it was because of the couple's generous hospitality towards uninvited guests that the wine ran out prematurely. It is embarrassing in those days as it is today to have insufficient food and drink for your guests. I mean, imagine at uh, Chinese New Year reunion dinner, your child suddenly brings a boyfriend or girlfriend home and you don't have enough food. Oh, paisie. Even if it's not your fault, you will still feel paisie. Perhaps, I'm not sure, but perhaps Mary felt responsible for causing the problem since her son brought his disciples along. Therefore, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus gets the hint that his mother is asking him to do something about the problem. His reply, however, was a negative one. Verse 4, and Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. The original Greek is short, too short, which makes it difficult for us to understand what he means. Here's a word-for-word -word translation. What to me and to you? I don't know what I'm talking about. The message renders it into, is that any of our business, mother, yours or mine? And the NIV says, Woman, why do you involve me? New King James proposes, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Just to throw in a Singlish version for laughs. Auntie, so what? Whichever version we use, we cannot escape the impression that Jesus sounds indifferent, even harsh. It is possible to soften this bad impression by the fact that Jesus did help in the end. However, is this how we want to remember Jesus? As a dishonorable son who publicly defies his mother's wishes? As an inconsiderate friend who cares less about his friend's imminent social disgrace? As a God indifferent to the trivial things of the world? No, because this is not who Jesus is. We must trust that our Lord is good all the time and on every page of the Bible. How then shall we understand this difficult verse? May I suggest to you that Jesus did not refuse to help his friend. What Jesus was refusing is Mary's suggestion. If Mary was talking to, his, uh, to Jesus as her human son, if she had asked him to run down to the liquor store to get a few cartons of wine, I'm very sure Jesus would have said yes. However, from Mary's subsequent instructions to the servants, we can tell that she was expecting a divine intervention, a hocus-pocus, an abracadabra, a Wingardium Liviosa type thing. Which means when she spoke to Jesus, she was effectively suggesting that he uses his divine powers to solve the problem. And this is why Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. Which means it is too early to reveal my divine identity. Because Mary's suggestion pertains to the power of God, Jesus must refuse her. His reply to her is a warning to her and to us that no human being can tell God what to do, not even the mother of Jesus. This rejection is also profoundly significant on a cosmic level. Remember how Adam ate the forbidden fruit and brought death to all humankind because the woman 
gave it to her, him. Here, history is repeating itself. Oh yes, three days after the temptations in the wilderness, the original temptation presents itself through a familiar agent. The woman represented by Mary this time gives Jesus the idea to use his divine power without the Father's permission. He who emptied himself in obedience is tempted to take up his powers again in disobedience. Are we reading too much into the text here? I don't think so. Because how else would we explain Jesus calling his mother woman? I believe this word is a hint to a parallel with the story of the fall, like how the earlier words hinted at a parallel with the story of creation. Now, since history is repeating itself, the new Adam must do what the original Adam could not. The man Jesus must obey the father instead of the woman if he is to be the Christ who brings new life to all. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Fortunately, our hero refused the woman's temptation and saved the world. His sharp reply makes better sense now in light of the cosmic impact of their dialogue. And actually, when we recall how Jesus rebuked Peter with, get behind me, Satan, I think woman is quite gentle. Now that we've cleared away this difficult verse, we can see clearly now what Jesus is doing in Cana. Jesus didn't refuse to help his friend. He would have obeyed if his mother had given proper instructions, but as it is, after refusing the improper suggestion, Jesus intervenes out of his own freedom as God. Whatever happens now flows from his own gracious heart. The wine shortage was a trivial thing. The master of the feast tells us that the guests have drunk freely. They have had so much to drink, they cannot really tell what they're drinking. Compare this to when Elijah performed the miracle of the bottomless jars of oil and flour so that he and the widow's family may survive the drought. Or when Elisha performed the miracle of the bottomless flask of oil, which provided for a debt-ridden family. By comparison, the wine shortage in Cana is a trivial thing. Nevertheless, the good Lord provided a huge abundance of good wine. Okay, time for some audience engagement. If you have a calculator, I'd like you to take it out now. I know you have, you have phones. I'm not gonna tell you the answer, so you have to do the math yourself to find out just how abundant, the huge abundance of good wine is. So here's the problem. If one stone jar equals to 20 gallons, you can use 30 if you have more faith, and one gallon equals 3.8 liters, and one bottle of wine is 0.75 liter, how many bottles of wine did Jesus create from six stone jars of water at the wedding in Cana? We'll give you some time to punch the numbers. For those of you who don't want to punch numbers, this is a trivial thing to share. Pastor and I were talking about one of my earlier sermons. He say, you don't always have to show them the working, just give them the answer. Well, this is in direct defiance. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna do the working. All right, do you have it? Yes? It was that many bottles of wine. According to an online wedding alcohol calculator, never throw wedding before, so I need to do this kind of thing. 
uh, online wedding alcohol calculator, you need 70 bottles of wine for every 100 guests. I think that's an um, American thing, because yesterday Shono said, no lah, three bottles per table can already. 30 bottles for every 100 guests. Never mind. We don't know how many guests were at the wedding in Cana. But according to this calculation, he provided enough for 800 to 1,000 guests. And remember, the guests at Cana had already drank their fill, which means they don't need that much. But out of his abundant grace, Jesus created so much that they could throw another wedding banquet. Or if you're Singaporean, sell the wine to recover costs. Isn't this such a wonderfully happy ending to a trivial problem? Much of the time, over the pulpit, we preach the great love of God. How God so loved the world that he sent his son. How the son of God died on the cross to save everyone. How his resurrection means we may enjoy blessedness forever. In response to his great love, we emphasize the big mission of the church. We need to proclaim the kingdom to the lost. We need to evangelize the community. We need to pray for global issues. Our passage today reminds us of the trivial love of God. Jesus is God, and he cares about the trivial things in our lives. Trivial things like running out of wine at a wedding, showering at work after a bike commute, finding a seat during lunch hour, Small matters, like getting help with new tech, having the strength to stand up and walk around the house, being able to fall asleep at night. And secular things, like having the courage to make new friends, making profits from investments, and winning competitions. Furthermore, in these trivial things, Jesus can do far more abundantly than all that we ever dare to ask or imagine. What would be the small mission of the church in response to God's trivial love? What is the modern equivalent of filling the jars with water, offering up five loaves and two fishes, or washing other people's feet? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Allow me to close with a personal testimony, which I've almost forgotten until I was writing this sermon. When I was in seminary, I lived on the allowance given by the church. For the most part, money was sufficient because I stayed in the hostel and meals were provided. But things can get a bit tight when you make too many friends in school and want to go out for supper with them. One time, I found myself quite broke at the end of the month. And I was in the library, during break time to photocopy a book I needed to reference for an assignment. After I found the book, I was walking towards the photocopier and I remembered, oh no, the last time I photocopy, I think I only have five credits left. Need to top up. Then a bigger, oh no, I only have two dollars in my wallet. That's not enough for the minimum top up of ten dollars. Feeling a bit sad and quite poor, I told Jesus this has happened. So I would just zap the first five pages come back next time. When I reached the photocopier, I inserted my card into the card machine. And the way this works is, and it's important to understand this miracle, after you zap your book, 
the page prints out. The machine will beep once and deduct one credit. If you do double-sided printing, it still only beeps once, but deducts two credits. Okay, simple enough. Eh? So I started to that, click, that, print out. That, click, that, print out. That, click, that. Hey, how come no beeping sound? Is the machine working? I look at the machine. Uh, lo and behold, it says five credits. Oh, great. I remember wrongly. So I got more pages. Carry on. Zap, zap, print. Zap, zap, print. Zap, zap, print. Zap, zap, print. At some point in time, I sense that I'm quite sure I've already exceeded five credits. Then I suddenly think, I think something miraculous is happening here. Then didn't dare to look at the machine. Cannot. Actually, body froze. Only hand busy. I was like, Jesus, is that you? When I got to the end of the chapter, I thought, should I photocopy something else? <laughs> I mean, what if I have a bottomless photocopying card? But I thought, you must be content. Your grace is sufficient for me. Press eject button. As soon as I did, the machine gave out a ceremonious five beeps. Beep, 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 spat out the card. I was like, whoa, this machine never behaved like this before. What's happening? Take card, grab everything, run back. Run to the classroom. On the way to the classroom, I counted and recounted the printouts. Here's a picture of the card and the papers. I separated the first three pieces of double-sided printouts from the subsequent nine pieces of double-sided printouts after I verified that I had only five credits left. No matter how I did the maths, it's impossible. But my maths failed, so you count yourself. It's a miracle of God. Glory be to God. I was blessed again, as I recall this incident from 2017. Back then, I know that God is saying he cares for me. Today, looking at the bottle of shower gel and this picture, I'm reminded that he still does. And not just for me. God is watching over you too. He's listening to you talk. And he's arranging to provide for you through people around you. And please don't think that I'm holier than you. Remember, I'm the student who spent all her money on roti prata. I'm just like you. God cares for me. He also cares for you. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the God of creation who cares for the trivial things in our lives. May we be reminded, may we all believe, and may the little things we do become miracles for people who need to know that Jesus cares for them too. Amen. such a timely reminder that you know the love of God not only cares about the big but even the trivial matters in our life that you know the hairs on our head are numbered the, the tears that drop from our eyes he collects and is aware of 
And as we come before the throne of our Lord's grace, let's bring to Him the needs we may have. Crying out to Him for His provision, for His mercy, for His grace to be abundant in our lives. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but I hope that you will join that prayer with your own prayers. It may be for yourself, the situation you're going through, maybe for a loved one, or even just a, a friend or a colleague. Let's just lift up these uh, needs to the Lord. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is too trivial for Him. Let's believe in His provision and His bountiful love being showered upon us as a testimony to His greatness and His glory. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love for us. Thank you for this account of that wedding in Cana of Galilee, of how you even provided for the enjoyment of the guests who were there. Lord, there was no need for you to do what you did, and yet you did. To show us that, Lord, nothing escapes your attention, that there is nothing that is too trivial for you, that you love us with an everlasting love. And right now, Lord, we lift up to you the needs in our hearts. Teach us, Lord, what it means to trust that you are good and that your mercy endures forever that your answers are always perfect for us. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that as we lift our needs to you, you would answer them in ways that uh, would be far beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. Not according to what we think the best answer is, but Lord, what the best answer is for the situation and the circumstance and for the people who are concerned pray, Lord, that you would give us the faith to see that you are a good God, that you are good all the time and on every page of the Word of God. And fill our hearts, Lord, with gratitude. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. I invite you to stand as we sing this uh, response song. Thank you, Lord. Let's be grateful for all the Lord has done in our lives. Thank you, Lord. I just want to.